Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm looking forward to this hour. This is the 5 o'clock Wednesday Central Time, which means we were going to continue our study of people from the Old Testament, and today is no exception. I am without my uh, cohort, Dr. Peter Kapsner. He's a tad bit under the weather, so I'm praying for him and hope he feels better. But my guest today is Dr. Eric Tonis. He's the professor and chair of theology at Biola University, and we're going to talk about the Old Testament character Phineas, and I, I decided I would make my mind a complete blank on everything I know about Phineas. Okay, that didn't take long. <laughs> so it's going to be a wonderful discussion, and we're going to learn a lot. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. Good to be with you again. Yeah, I'm curious to see how you're going to fill an hour on Phineas. I'll hang up and listen. Oh, that won't be any problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start by just learning about him. Where do we find him, and, and how do we uh, get to know him? Yeah, he is an incredibly important figure in the Old Testament and in Jewish tradition because he epitomizes someone who was jealous for God's honor. That's how God himself describes Phineas. And so he becomes a, a, a prototype, a, an image of someone who is driven not by pragmatics, not by personal interest, but by God's glory, God's honor among his people. And so, yeah, he's an incredibly important person that we, we find out first in Numbers 25, where this amazing story takes place. And then a, a dozen more times in the Old Testament, he's referred back to. And every time he's referred to after Numbers 25 and including Numbers 25, he is pursuing God's honor. So he becomes a representation of other great godly people who are driven first and foremost and foundationally by God's honor and not all the other motives we're often driven by. Hmm. So, Eric, when did you start this bromance with uh, Phineas? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I, I, so, I don't know if I'd be normally drawn to this, uh, this. Right. So, you know, I've done a lot of work on on emotions of God and Ooh. attributes of God that Ooh. people don't like very much. I and like this direction. Yeah, so I, I feel the same way about portions of the Bible that people don't find themselves drawn to. We we can approach God even though theoretically we know he's perfect. Nevertheless, we can approach him sort of with this, you know, I know the Bible teaches this is true of God, but if I were designing God, it, that wouldn't be included. Right. And that is just a completely wrong way to approach God. I understand the inclination, but... We really need to catch that quickly because God's perfect. There is nothing in him lacking in any way that you would ever desire. And sort of the flip side attribute is beauty, which is God is the sum total of every desirable quality. So if we start with his perfection and his beauty, we're never going to want to make alterations or, or diminish things about him or amplify some things way more than others and not some hierarchy of attributes. And so there are divine attributes like godly jealousy 
godly anger, even godly hatred mm. that that the Bible clearly teaches, but we can easily neglect and avoid because we're just not quite sure what to do with it. Because every time we've seen any of those on a human level, they're almost always sinful and, and deeply problematic. And Eric, do we decide we don't like it because we simply don't understand it? Is that fair? Yeah. Anything about God we don't love and worship him in response to is because of a faulty understanding of it. And it's typically imposing our human perceptions of these things on him, even with with things you wouldn't expect. So, so say the fatherhood of God. People easily say these days, you know, I had a neglectful father, an abusive father, and so that's a really tough t- uh, a title for God for me to deal with, so I don't really emphasize it too much. Or instead of saying, no, I can't project a faulty, sinful, earthly example on God. That's actually at the heart of idolatry. And rather, I need to see fatherhood in light of God's fatherhood, which is never neglectful, never abusive. It's always compassionate and present and loving. So so I need to have my earthly understanding of things transformed by the ideal understanding and the character of God himself. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to take us down a rabbit hole uh, so soon because we're going to be talking about Phineas for a, a yeah. while. But uh, speaking of difficult passages, I was just in Second Samuel twelve eleven the other night. This is what the Lord says: Out of your household, I am going to bring calamity on you before yeah. your very eyes. I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. Yeah. Yeah, I have a question about that, Bill. <laughs> that was not going to be your life verse, is it? You're going to have that one engraved in your living room. Yeah. Nah, so. That's not on a piece of driftwood in my kitchen. <laughs> no. No, and see, that's what I mean. We, we're so selective about the portions of the Bible we emphasize. And, and a lot of the time we're pulling these out of context, and they don't even actually mean what it seems to mean in our kitchen wall. Um, so, so we've really got to appreciate passages in context and, and understand what they're really saying. And so, yeah, passages like that need to be understood in light of the story of redemptive history. And this is one of my biggest concerns about the way Christians approach the Bible. We can sort of parachute in wherever we may land in the Bible and treat it as this, this sort of, um, simplistic thing that just has passages for encouragement for the day that are all about me, instead of realizing that God has revealed himself through human history, and he's done it with real people at real times, in many ways completely different than we are, but in the most important ways, no different. And so to understand the Bible, you've got to be very aware of where you are in the story of redemptive history when you're reading it, because mm-hmm. things change and God progressively reveals himself. And then there are some cataclysmic changes from the old covenant to the new covenant, for instance, that aren't a new thing entirely, but certainly take things to the fulfilled level now where we, we view things in the old covenant very differently than the new. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, not that I want to move on from the second Samuel verse, but I, yeah. uh, but I'm just thinking this is what the Lord says. Now, why would he say, I want to take your wives and give them to someone else to sleep with? Right. So I, I think the first thing to realize is that God works out his sovereign providence in mm-hmm. our lives in a way that isn't moving us around like 
pieces on a chessboard, but working within human decisions, human uh, uh, actions that we're responsible for. And he's sovereignly using those things at times to judge us, at times to to uh, bring upon our awareness where we've where we've gone, where we've ended up. So this isn't God doing evil. The Bible's clear that God doesn't do evil, but mm-hmm. He certainly works within the events of fallen human beings in ways where we get our comeuppance in within the sovereign plan of God in ways that's always working for His glory and the good of His people. That's where we're heading. But along the way, He will He will bring severe consequences for our sins on us and. And it's 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 self-imposed. We we do that to ourselves, and he he's usually restraining the evil that we would otherwise perpetuate. And I think in moments like that, he says, "I'm going to withdraw to withdraw my restraining grace, and let your heart run to the degree it would otherwise." So you eventually wake up to the the depth of your own sin. Hmm. And so I, th- I think it's a pulling back of the kind of grace he's restraining our sin with so that we see it for what it is. Oh, that's so interesting. All right, let's uh, let's go back to Phineas, and I want to start uh, yeah. learning more about him, maybe some highlights, some actions he took, some things that are going on his resume. Right, so the first time he shows up is in this stirring passage in Numbers 25, and I know a lot of people spend their morning devotion time in numbers in general, <laughs> if nothing else, because of the title of the book, the name right, of the book. Right. You know, it's important to realize that the, the, the names of books of the Bible aren't inspired. They were, they were applied much later. And actually, in the Hebrew Bible, the original name for the book of Numbers is The Wilderness Wanderings. See, huh. now that's a way better title like than Numbers. Yeah. I mean— Marketers were not involved in naming this book Numbers, and so it's not an appealing book to most people, but it's an amazing book, which is primarily, yes, there are lists of of numbers, but it's primarily a description of amazing stories in the wilderness wanderings of God's people. And one of those is this scene in Numbers 25, where Phineas becomes this example of someone who's pursuing God's honor. what's, What's happening here is... The people have broken one of the fundamental commands of God as he sends them into the promised land, which is don't intermarry, because if you intermarry with people of other gods who worship other gods, if you share your most intimate relationship with human beings who worship a different God, your hearts are going to be pulled toward that idolatry and that God. And so so it's not some cultural judgment primarily. It, it's a theological judgment. And so intermarrying with people who worship other gods is clearly forbidden by God. They get in the promised land and they break that central command to have no other gods but him. And so they commit literally physical adultery, but they commit spiritual adultery in the process, which is which is the big thing. And so as a result of this intermarrying with the Midianites, there is a judgment of God and a plague is taking over the people as God judges them for their, their apostasy, their spiritual adultery. And their people are repenting for this. And in the midst of this corporate repentance, a man uh, brings a Midianite woman apparently into his tent, which is in sight of the tent of the meeting where this corporate repentance is taking place, and apparently begins to have sexual intercourse with her and, and is 
gross a public um, violation of everything God is trying to accomplish among his people in this repentance and this revival. And no one does anything. Even Moses seems to just stand there and do nothing about this horrific apostasy except for Phineas. And this man who is the grandson of Aaron and the son of Eliezer, who's a priest, he alone stands up, takes a spear in his hand and kills Zimri and Cosby, this man and woman. And the result is just amazing. The plague is stopped. God interprets Phineas's actions theologically and in his heart. And he says, Phineas alone was jealous with my jealousy for my honor. And he's atoned for the sins of the people. And the plague is therefore stopped, and he saved many lives. And then he becomes a Christ type in this passage because God says he now has a perpetual priesthood, and he's atoned for the sins of the people. He, he foreshadows the coming of the priest and the one who would ultimately atone. So incredible hero of the faith in the old covenant context, which we can talk about later. Yeah, we will continue. Yeah, well, we we right. will take a little break for right now. Dr. Eric Tonis is our guest and we are uh, talking about Phineas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest. We'll take a short break and be right back. with our Wednesday series on Old Testament characters. And Peter Kapster and I, we do this on Wednesday, and we always pray, Lord, who do you want on the show? And the answer is never us. But it is always my guest, Dr. Eric Tonis, who we affectionately refer to as T-Dog. We're so glad that you can talk to us today about Phineas, even though Peter's not with us. Uh, he's home uh, feeling not great today, but uh, we're glad that uh, you could be with us, Eric. And Phineas, we were talking right before we went to break about this plague that uh, was not a small plague, uh, killed at least 24,000 people. Yeah, God's judgment was severe. He uh, wanted to make a serious point and bring about judgment in a way that made it clear that his commands that he made clear when they were going into the promised land, for that to be the promised land and for Jerusalem to be the place of shalom and the place where people are able to meet with God. It couldn't include pagan deities and infertility religions that were grossly immoral and dishonoring to God. And so he makes a serious statement with his judgment here to the people. So at one point, uh, Phineas got his hands on the Ark of the Covenant, didn't he? Yeah, you know, he shows up, like I said, about a dozen times. Yeah. And every time he shows up, He's pursuing God's glory. He's leading the way, and whether it's, it's, it's an Exodus or Joshua or Judges or First Chronicles, or he's referred to in, in Psalm 106 as this one who stood up for God's honor. Yeah, he's, he's pursuing God's honor 
in whatever context it may be compromised. He's pursuing f- the faithfulness of God's people, which is what honors God more than anything else in creation. Every time it's challenged. So when there are challenges to God's honor, to his glory, seeing the, the unfaithfulness of his people, Phineas is stepping up and, and doing something about it. Eric, I don't, I don't know if Phineas is a, a Sunday school lesson that we, we learned, and why not? <laughs> well, we have a way of, of domesticating and uh, almost fearing that people can't take the Bible if you just give it to them straight. And so even we even turn Noah into this story about cute little animals on a boat when it's, <laughs> a, it's a horrific judgment on creation for rebelling against God. I mean— it's anything but a happy, fun kid story, but we figure out a way to make it that. But I, I've always been someone who said, look, if anybody sits under my teaching for any period of time, and then they go actually read their Bibles, I never want them coming to me saying, you held out. You didn't tell me what's really here. And and God is is serious about his glory. He's serious about our faithfulness. He hates sin. He hates evil. And and he's not mincing words along the way. And I love that about God. I love that about the Bible. It, it's not dancing around. It's not political. It's not giving all the right answers. It's not, not some marketing strategy. It's telling us straight, like a good doctor will, about our sin problem, mm. about God's perfect solution to it, about his glory, his, his honor, and his love for us to bring that about in our lives. Eric, what do we know about the wife of uh, Phineas and... Uh... Did, did he have kids that we could learn about? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. He's he's a priest, and it, it's amazing. Like I said, even in intertestamental time, the time between the testaments, he is a hero who is looked to as an example. Even I mean, P.T. Barnum of Barnum and Bailey Circus is named after Phineas. There was a long time people would name their kids after Phineas, and and he he, he had more prominence. People used to be able to look at the Bible a little more honestly, I think, where a guy like this could actually be a hero people look to, and we don't sort of get embarrassed by him because of the old covenant display of his godly jealousy. But but he's definitely someone we should see as heroic and prototypical of the kind of jealousy for God's honor we're supposed to have. Talk about an attribute, and emotion that gets totally misunderstood. Jealousy is one of those. I wrote a whole book on godly jealousy, which is why I first got interested in Phineas. It's called Godly Jealousy, A Theology of Intolerant Love. And Phineas is one of the great examples of someone who is driven by a jealousy for God's honor in, the, in a godly way. That is so interesting. I actually would love to hear more about the jealousy of God and how it relates to Phineas. Uh, pursuing God's glory, but I'd love to hear more about the jealousy of God, because I think that topic is something we don't know how to talk about, or we don't understand it very well. Right. So it it really is a a massively important quality of God. He says uh, to the Israelites and to Moses in, in Exodus 34, that don't intermarry with the people when you go to the land. Don't have any other gods before me. And the reason he gives, he, I mean, he could have given ethical reasons or moral reasons, or he could have said, because if you get involved with those religions, you'll get sexually transmitted diseases. He could have given all these ethical, pragmatic, social reasons, which would have been legit. But he says, don't have other gods because I'm a jealous God. I, and he, then he says, I am El Kana. I am, my name is jealous. 
Hmm. He, he says, I am so jealous. Just go ahead and call me that. Make a name out of it for me. <laughs> and so Elkanah, God who's jealous, is, is a name he gives to himself. It's, it's that level of importance. And so it, it really is God's perfectly right and righteous desire to be glorified and honored, never because he's insecure, but because he deserves glory and honor. We sort of have this idea that we say, oh, you, Lord, you deserve the glory. And if, if he was responding rightly, he would say, oh, shucks, you're embarrassing me. Now stop. I, you know, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I know I'm God, but don't get carried away. But he doesn't. He agrees with us yeah. when we say you deserve the glory, you deserve the honor. And this is hard for us because what's worse in a human heart than seeking glory? And so we, it's hard for us to imagine it could ever be right. But with God, he's the one being for whom that is right and perfect. And if he were to let us think anything less than the fact that he does deserve that glory, he wouldn't be just. And he wouldn't love us if he let us settle for anything but himself as the greatest object of our affections and our devotion. Mm-hmm. Eric, can you talk about biblical jealousy versus like earthly jealousy? That, yes, yeah. Because if you're trying so to explain important. godly jealousy to like to a seeker, they're going to go, God's jealous? What's for that? Yeah, and I, and I certainly don't lead with this. <laughs> with, with the man in the street. This, yeah. is, this is sort of like high-level stuff. But I actually think human sanctification at its highest level is a, and it's, it's a kind of emotional maturity where we respond in the right way with the rightly integrated emotions, which, which should include a jealousy for God's honor. So, yeah, that, our problem with jealousy is, one, we— use envy interchangeably with the word jealousy. Mm. English speakers used to use them with a little more distinction, a lot more distinction, where envy is the desire to gain possession of something that isn't yours, like your Lamborghini, Bill. I would love to I know have you your would. Lamborghini, I know right? You would. Get your but that's, hands that's off envy. <laughs> that's envy. But jealousy is very different. It's a relational emotion, and it's a desire to maintain exclusive faithfulness in a co- coveted covenant relationship. And so it's, you know, my wife will have a dream that I've been unfaithful and she'll wake up mad at me and I didn't even do anything. (laughs) I'll say, come on, honey, you had a bad dream, didn't you? And she will. But you know, it's funny, but there's something right about that. Any, any husband or wife who isn't moved to jealousy in the face of adultery or unfaithfulness, you got to wonder that's not love at all. Mm. Right. We understand covenant love includes jealousy in that love. Yes. When it's warranted, when it is expressed in a godly way. So even on a human level, there is a godly jealousy that is right and good that any husband or wife should feel in the face of unfaithfulness. Now it needs to be mingled with grace and patience and kindness and forgiveness, but jealousy needs to be there as well. If, if, If it's true covenant love. Yeah. All right, Eric, let me take a short break. Dr. Eric Thomas is our guest. We're talking about Phineas, and you can learn about Phineas in Numbers 25. Did I say that? Is that right? Sure. Number 25. And many other places as well, but we're learning about uh, uh, this very interesting person who's pursuing the glory of God, whose name is Phineas. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Let's get it started. 
back with Dr. Eric Taunas, and we're talking about Phineas. Raise your hand if you know how to spell Phineas. Yeah, a lot of hands didn't go up. That's not surprising. Um, learning a lot about uh, Phineas, you can learn about him in Numbers 25, among other places in the Old Testament. And Eric, I would love to, you, you, you got me all interested in the emotions of God we don't like. Mm. As we were talking about right. uh, envy and jealousy, uh, and I'm just wondering if we could talk a little bit more about that, because that's super interesting, and I have, I, have my, I have kind of a little bit of a short attention span today, so I'm all over the map. Yeah, so God is all-glorious. He, he does deserve all the glory. We are created for Him, for His glory. And we immediately start thinking, oh, He must be insecure, or must be needy in some way, which is completely wrong. And it's understandable, because... When, when you see someone tooting their own horn, wanting attention, getting the glory for themselves, it's an ugly thing. It, and so on a human level, it's always wrong to seek our own glory. But it is perfectly right for God to do that. And it would be terrible if he didn't, because that's what we're made for. And that's when we're happiest, when we're glorifying him with our lives. And when we're realizing we're never an end in ourselves, God is always the ultimate end of everything. And so... That radical God-centeredness, which can be hard to, to get because we're so easily drawn into a human-centeredness, even in our Christianity, that to, to really go to the Bible and see how God-centered God himself is, is really important. And so, again, it's not envy wanting something he doesn't have, but it is jealousy demanding exclusive faithfulness from his people, which is the primary way he is glorified. And so he, it's not because he's insecure. It's as if I said to you, you know, Bill, I, 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 humans freak me out. I like dogs. Could I relate to you as a dog, <laughs> right? And you, if you had a problem with that and said, no, you're going to relate to me as a man, I wouldn't say, oh, I guess Bill's insecure in his humanity, <laughs> I, right? I would, yeah. or, or could I relate to you as a woman? And you'd say, no, I'm a man. And I'd say, well, I guess Bill's insecure in his masculinity. No, you want me to be in touch with reality, and you know that relationships are meaningless unless we relate according to reality, not right. what is better for me or I'm more comfortable with. And so that's what God's doing. He's just demanding that we see him for who he is, which is the all-glorious creator of everything. And so it's a good and glorious thing that should stun us that God cares so much about our faithfulness, even though we're frail creatures. Yeah. And not to mention we're not dealing with people in reality very well nowadays, are we? No. See, that's the other thing. We think we create reality with our intuitions, our feelings, our desires, our perspectives, instead of realizing, oh, no, I need to conform to what reality is, sometimes in spite of what I think it must be. And, and for all of human history, people try to get around that with magicians, and now we try to do it with technology and science. But ultimately, we always have to conform to reality. And the reality, ultimately, we conform to is that God's the glorious creator of everything, and he made us for himself. And that's the best, most satisfying way we could ever live. Mm -hmm. Eric, when you hear people say, well, I like to think for myself, do you have to chuckle a little bit when you hear that? Because do people really do that, or do they just align themselves with ideas and principles that already exist? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We do want to think critically. We want to think rationally. We want to be able to not be controlled by our emotions. or, But at the same time, we're the product of a whole lot of factors, starting with 
our personalities and our experiences and the good ones and the bad ones. And so, so we always need to factor in that we are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And we have a very clouded perspective, which is why we're so grateful God has spoken in his word and the spirit who inspired it is illumining our minds to understand it. Otherwise, we would all be left to ourselves to figure out good and evil on our own, and everyone would do what's right in his own eyes, which is what we see a whole lot of these days. Mm-hmm. What do we know about uh, Phineas's son? Was it Ichabod? Uh, do I have that right? Or did I... No, I, I think I think that might be a different one. I'm. Oh yeah, I'm I think not it familiar is. With that. I think yeah. it is. Yeah, I'm just I'm kind not of familiar with that. Yeah, I'm just kind of trying to remember everything I can about Phineas. Yeah, but you know, I think, I think Eli, the priest Eli has a son that he names Phineas, and I'm pretty confident he names him after this hero of the faith. Okay. As probably a way of legitimizing his own priesthood. And Phineas is a terrible failure, his son. He he does not live up to his namesake, and he's a scoundrel. And so, so yeah, we have we have a pretty poor representation of him, and, and the guy who's named after him. Mm-hmm. I love that Phineas is seeking God's glory at all times. I, there's got to be a gigantic lesson that we learned from this today, Eric. Yeah, I think, so So in my book, Godly Jealousy, I, first I look at God's jealousy for his own glory. And then I look at the primary way that is accomplished in the world, which is our faithfulness, our simple daily faithfulness. And this was amazing to realize that something as grand and ultimate as God's glory is primarily accomplished, not in these grand gestures that Phineas shows, for example, here, but in daily living in acts of faithfulness. So when I don't exaggerate the truth to make myself look better in the eyes of others, because I fear God, no one knows that happened but God, and he is pleased with that. And, and I want to be motivated to honor God in that sort of way. When, when we simply obey him in daily life, we're honoring God. And yes, at times we see grand gestures like Phineas and, and like Elijah. And there are other examples of humans who exhibit godly jealousy in clear ways in the Bible we could talk about. But, but to... To be driven by godly jealousy the way David was when he ran at Goliath and said, who's this uncircumcised Philistine talking about these armies of the living God like this? The way uh, Elijah said, I alone was jealous for your honor when old Jezebel's after him. And then Jesus and Paul in the New Testament are clear examples of godly jealousy as well. In a New Covenant context, we need to be driven by that same kind of God-honoring motivation in the context God has us in the appropriate ways he wants us to do that. Yeah, so I, I guess I'm slightly embarrassed that I've mixed up my Phineas's a little bit, which is why no, I love fine. this series, <laughs> um, because I want to I want to learn and I want to understand uh, what his what Phineas did well and what he did to serve and honor God, and I guess this is one of those things that I, I walk away with saying I I want to I want to learn from these people in the Old Testament and figure out ways in which I can apply what I learned to my life today. And I think that's the challenge for everyone that tunes into Faith Radio is, what can I learn from the Old Testament that I can turn around and apply to my life today? Yeah, yeah. And and qualifying these examples, we too quickly, you know, say, oh, you know, David and Goliath, what are the Goliaths in our life? We need to, instead of saying, wait, the people needed a representation 
before this false god that seemed to be winning the day. And David was that in the power of God, driven by godly jealousy. And then, and David wasn't enough. He failed miserably too. We need that one who comes after David, Jesus. And so we we understand it in redemptive history, and then we understand it in a Christ-centered, gospel-centered way, where that's the primary application all the time. It shows us our need for Jesus. It shows us how Jesus meets that need. And so these heroes can have heroic qualities, but only successfully if they point us to the hero, because none of them actually get it done. Mm-hmm. I love that we're, that you don't um, that you explore deeper into the message of David and Goliath and the whole idea that we're just not what are your what are your Goliaths in life, but you go deeper into the text and and extract from it what we should be learning versus just being so reductionistic and say, well, we'll just grab the most simplest concept and apply it to our life. That's really yeah, we, helpful. We, we rightly want to make it practically applicable, but we rush to that. And instead of saying, wow, God is working in human history, accomplishing his purposes in the midst of all these frail, fallen human beings. And at times he uses them in amazing ways, but they never can become Jesus for us. They can never become our savior. They needed Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so, so they point us ahead to him in the midst of being examples in some ways, but never ultimate examples and never too quickly applied to my daily circumstances. Aside from this central thing that we should have hearts that desire God be honored. And it's amazing that Phineas in Numbers 25, that's what God highlights. It wasn't even what he did. It was that his heart was one that was pursuing God's honor. And that was driving him. And that I love. Can we go back to Numbers 25 and understand the the text where it's, where Phineas goes ahead and kills uh, Zimri and and Cosby, this yeah. this couple yeah. that had, had gotten on in front of everybody and yeah. what was the the motivation? What why did he do that? And was it something he uh, instinct instinctually did, or was it a message from the Lord to do it? Or how does that all well, work out? Yeah. So what I think is important to realize when we when we read these stories is one say, okay, this is the Old Testament context. This is a the- theocracy. Okay. It, it 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 is something that God commands. So so Phineas specifically is in charge as a priest of the temple precinct, which is being violated now. So he's got gotcha. a job description that makes this violation something that's right right on his plate. Secondly. He's a priest, and he, he cares about God's honor, and he ends up saving lives, lots of lives, because the plague is stopped when he does this. Mm. And so these two are killed in this gross violation of God's covenant commands, and in the midst of repentance for it, just completely um, sticking a thumb in the eye of, of what God's actually doing among his people, bringing repentance. And then Phineas puts an end to this gross display of immorality and unfaithfulness. And it has an amazing atoning effect for the sins of the people as a Christ type in that way. Mm -hmm. Eric, when I am still in Numbers 25, verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people, kill them and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. There's some pretty heavy emotions there. There sure are. And and again, if we minimize God's holiness, we will in turn minimize our sinfulness. And his wrath and judgment will always seem like an overreaction. 
And, and that's the amazing flip that's taken place. And when you read the Bible, people are, are never shocked by God's judgment. Mm. What shocks them is his patience. They say, how long, Lord? How much? Why are you waiting so long to bring judgment? Even the martyrs in Revelation are crying out, how much longer before our blood is vindicated? It's amazing that we think God's flying off the handle and he needs to chill out and he, he's <laughs> overreacting. Mm-hmm. The, the biblical view is just the opposite. It's, it's Jonah's problem. Right? No, no, no. I am not going to the Ninevites because I know if I preach repentance and they repent, I know you, Lord, and you'll forgive them. And I'm not interested in that. So his patience ticks people off in the Bible. But when you're thinking rightly, you're amazed that any of us has survived. When I read Ananias and Sapphira being struck dead in the New Testament for lying about what they gave, I don't think, wow, what's God's problem? I think, I wonder why I'm alive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You should be a stain on your sofa. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But when we talk about uh, the world today, which is talk about minimizing God's holiness. Boy, I see that all, all over the place. Yeah. We don't talk about that. Yeah. American pop religion is kind of like Greco-Roman religion, where we bring God so down to our level that you hear people say He's the big guy, the man upstairs. Uh, me nuts. People say, you know, when I when I when I get to heaven, I got I got some questions for the big guy, and I I say, well, you know, I wonder if he might have a couple for you, <laughs> or or if it's just going to be God on the witness stand and yeah. you're cross-examining him. It's yeah. amazing the way we trivialize him. Yeah, you're going to get to God's home, you think, and you're going to have questions for him. You're going to be grilling him. Really? Yeah. Let me know how that works. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I, I, even in our lifetime, Bill, I, I remember as a kid, I heard way more about Judgment Day. I heard way more about about hell and about God's judgment. But it seems like we are so aware of how that's perceived when when we have such a simplistic view of people that doesn't take sin seriously. But then something like September 11th happens. And now people are groping for words, and they start to use words like evil, even though we sort of put that away in the attic for a long time. But, but we've, we've got to have descriptions of what we all recognize lurks within each of our hearts. And in the world, there's nothing easier to prove than human sin. And, and how does God feel about that? Well, he's perfectly holy. If I hate injustice and evil, how much more does a perfect holy God hate it? And if he doesn't respond with righteous judgment— then, then wh- wh- who is he? We hear a lot about social justice today, very little about divine justice, mm. which is where all justice starts. Yeah, social justice would be more, more popular than divine justice. Yeah, but it, but it has no origin no, if, if justice doesn't start with God. Yeah, amen to that. All right, Eric, let me take one more short break. Dr. Eric Tonis is our guest. We're talking about Phineas and... Uh, We've also been talking about some of the emotions and attributes of God, which has been fascinating. Phineas was a man after God's heart, just like David. He just wanted to do everything to bring glory to God. That's someone I want to be like. We'll be right back.
I'm back with Dr. Eric Taunas. He is the professor and chair of theology at Biola University in Southern California. And what's the weather like there today, Eric? Let's move on. Like usual. Yeah. Perfect <laughs> and boring. Yeah. <laughs> I was asking a dumb question. But I, I'm I'm loving, I think you're stirring hearts today with this description of Phineas. And uh, Rosie was just saying uh, during the break how her heart is heavy for the amount of evil she feels is in the world and the lack of uh, paying respect to God's holiness. And, you know, we, didn't, we don't talk about personal holiness very often either, do we? No, uh, we talk a lot about uh, having our needs met and fulfillment, <laughs> yeah. and, um, and and again, there's a way of doing Christianity that is it sounds Christian, but it's just narcissistic. And say more about that. Well, I mean, you hear a lot, for instance, about finding my identity in Christ, but I, I really wonder what motivates that a lot of the time, and then how we actually try to get there, like. We try to find our identity in Christ by focusing on ourselves most of the time instead of Christ. I mean, how can I find my identity in Christ if I don't really know Christ? Yeah. I love what Spurgeon said, for every one look at ourselves, we should take 10 looks at Christ. But I think we've gotten that reversed. And so there, there's just a way of doing things, even in the church, where we can be um, just very self-absorbed and and it's all about me instead of about God. And that's the amazing thing about these examples in the Bible of godly jealousy. It, it was practical ramifications be damned. It, it, Phineas, his act there, yes, it stops a plague. Yes, it, um, it, it gets an honor for him, but that's not what's driving him. It actually starts a war with the Midianites, mm-hmm. and, and it, it causes really tough outcomes. And that's what we see in the Bible. We're, they're not driven by calculated uh, decisions where the cost-benefit analysis is going to benefit them. It's God is being dishonored. And so you've got David, like I said, running toward Goliath, this punk kid. It, it's not a political war primarily. It's a theological one. Who is this guy dishonoring Yahweh? And, and the armies of God are cowering. And you've got Elijah taking on the prophets of Baal and saying, who, choose who you'll serve this day. Choose, stop limping between two opinions. Make up your mind. And it says the people stood and said nothing. And, and Elijah took on the prophets of Baal with the same kind of deadly judgment we find in this passage. And, and then old Jezebel's after him again, and he's, he's kind of pouting. And God says, what are you doing? And he says, I alone have been jealous for your honor. And God says, no, you haven't, Elijah. I've, I've reserved 7,000 in, in Jerusalem who haven't kissed the mouth of Baal. You're not alone in this. And then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus is flipping over tables in the temple, cleansing his temple. And it says in John 2, and the disciples remembered it was said, jealousy for your house will consume me, which is what David says in Psalm 69. And then we get to Paul writing to the Corinthians saying, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I betrothed you to one husband, and I want to present you to him as a pure virgin. So this jealousy theme is throughout. But once we get to the New Testament, we don't see spears and rocks and and swords in anybody's hands. We see the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We see the gospel of peace. We see Paul writing letters to his people, exhorting them to holy living. And so our weapons are very different now. But the goal is the same, the glory of God through the faithfulness of his people. So we've got to have the same heart as Phineas, Elijah, and David, yeah. but now with the weapons of warfare and the new covenant that we have. 
So, Eric, one of the things I was hoping to do with this series, and I haven't been doing a very good job of it so far, but I I want people to walk away with something in a little brown paper bag, uh, like maybe three things that they can know and remember and share with somebody else about the person that we were talking about that Wednesday. So if I'm talking to you at a backyard barbecue and the brats are on the grill and I say to you, hey, Eric, I understand you know something about Phineas. Tell me three things I can I can know about Phineas. First thing would be the most important thing, which is he is an example to us ultimately of Jesus. But at the heart of that is a God-centered life and ministry. Love it. That that we've got to be ruthlessly God-centered. And it's not radical biblically, but it is culturally. Yeah. To be God-centered. If nobody's ever accusing you going overboard with with your your <laughs> faith in Jesus, yeah. You're, yeah. you're probably not God centered enough. Okay, I love that. So uh, you know, God centered life and ministry that that looks radical to the world, but not to the Bible. Uh, I would say this this completely then rules out moral relativism and religious pluralism. This idea that any way will do morally and any way will do theologically, it cuts right at the heart of a personal God who calls us to exclusive faithfulness, like in a marriage. Mm-hmm. And then I I would say the third thing would be an incredible sacredness for marriage and sex. The marriage metaphor and the sexual metaphor are frequently used in the Bible when jealousy is talked about because God takes marriage and sex that seriously, but ultimately because they point us, marriage and sex, to to the the relationship we have with our husband, who is is the husband of his people, God. And so it ends up having a, a serious effect on our view of marriage and adultery and um, and sex in general as an incredibly sacred thing that points beyond itself to the God who, who invented these things to, to point us to our relationship with Him. Yeah, fantastic. I love that. So, uh, Eric, as we just have a couple minutes left, what, uh, what are you working on right now that we can talk about, get excited about, and invite you back on to talk about? <laughs> well... Yeah, I'm working on a lot of things. I'm always working on the character of God. That's my main area in theology that I, I write on and talk about. I, I've written things and continue to work on a Christian view of sports, competition, play. And we talked about humor last time. That's always an interest of yeah, mine. I, I didn't know you were a comedian. You're a legit stand-up. Yes, I am. I had no idea. <laughs> that's the hardest job in the world. <laughs> and that's impressive. Underwater just, welder, number one hard job. No, no number, way. Number stand-up two. Stand-up is, is way harder. <laughs> yeah. But you also, I think, are putting a book together on, on like, 20 things that we yeah. we should what? What's, what's Christ, the... 20 things Christians should probably stop saying. Yeah, <laughs> I'm working on that, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, when is that one going to be out? Because that's going to be a—I want to have you back on for that as well. Oh, I need to get it out sooner. I should stop saying I'm writing it. So, yeah, I, I'm hoping to get it done yeah. uh, by spring. Yeah, cool. Well, this has been very interesting. I've loved learning about Phineas, and I'm going to— I'm going to take these three things in my brown paper bag and and uh, try to apply them to my life as as early as tonight. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you so much, and enjoy the rest of your day. And I know Peter is very bummed that he was not able to yes, be on the, on the I'm show. Sorry. He, I, I hope he feels better. Yeah, I know. We just love having you on. You're like our all-time fave, just so you know. Well, I love it. I yep. love it, guys. Thanks, thank Eric. you. Yep, have All a great right. night. Bye. Yep. Bye. Dr. Eric Tonis has been... 
uh, our guest. And if you are curious about how to spell his last name, because some of you I know would be, his first name is E-R-I-K, and his last name is spelled T-H-O-E-N-N-E-S. Dr. Eric Tonis. So that wraps up our show for the day. Uh, I want to thank Dr. Glenn Pickering for being my guest. If you missed any of the show today and, and you're a podcaster, I'm so glad you're going to go listen. We talked about healthier relationships, and it's a, a great discussion we had with him. And then uh, Dr. Eric Tonis talking about Phineas. That's an Old Testament character that we invited him to talk about because that's who he wanted to talk about. And then... Um, the Daniel Bible Study, if you go to MyFaithRadio.com, make sure you sign up to get involved with that because that's going to be an incredible study. And next Wednesday, when we pursue an Old Testament character, Dr. Er, Anna Rask will be joining us, who wrote the study on Daniel that you're going to be finding at MyFaithRadio.com, and she'll be our special guest for the hour, so you can get all your questions lined up about Daniel the first six chapters, but I, I encourage you to go to MyFaithRadio.com. Check that out. Sign up to be involved in the Daniel study. It's going to be awesome. Have a great night, everybody. I can't wait to spend time with you tomorrow. See you then. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.